chapter fifty of the history of pendennis this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. the history of pendennis by william makepeace thackeray chapter fifty or near the temple garden fashion has long deserted the green and pretty temple garden which in shakespeare makes york and lancaster to pluck the innocent white and red roses which became the badges of their bloody wars and the learned and pleasant writer of the handbook of london tells us that the commonest and hardiest kind of rose has long ceased to put forth a bud in that smoky air not many of the present occupiers of the buildings round about the quarter know or care very likely whether or not roses grow there or pass the old gate except on their way to chambers the attorney's clerks don't carry flowers in their bags or posies under their arms as they run to the council's chambers the few lawyers who take constitutional walks think very little about york and lancaster especially since the railroad business is over only antiquarians and literary amateurs care to look at the gardens with much interest and fancy good sir roger de coverley and mr spectator with his short face pacing up and down the road or dear oliver goldsmith in the summer-house perhaps meditating about the next citizen of the world or the new suit that mr philby the tailor is fashioning for him or the dunning letter that mr newberry has sent treading heavily on the gravel and rolling majestically along in a snuff-coloured suit and a wig that sadly wants the barber's powder and irons one sees the great doctor step up to him his scotch lackey following at the lexicographer's heels a little the worse for port wine that they have been taking at the mitre and mr johnson asks mr goldsmith to come home and take a dish of tea with miss williams kind faith of fancy sir roger and mr spectator are as real to us now as the two doctors and the boozy and faithful scotchman the poetical figures live in our memory just as much as the real personages and as mr arthur pendennis was of a romantic and literary turn by no means addicted to the legal pursuits common in the neighbourhood of the place we may presume that he was cherishing some such poetical reflections as these when upon the evening after the events recorded in the last chapter the young gentleman chose the temple gardens as a place for exercise and meditation on the sunday evening the temple is commonly calm the chambers are for the most part vacant the great lawyers are giving grand dinner parties at their houses in the belgravian or tyburnian districts the agreeable young barristers are absent attending those parties and paying their respects to mr cusey's excellent claret or mr justice ermine's accomplished daughters the uninvited are partaking of the economic joint and the modest half-pint of wine at the club entertaining themselves and the rest of the company in the club-room with circuit jokes and points of wit and law nobody is in chambers at all except poor mr cockle who is ill and whose laundress is making him gruel or mr tootle who is an amateur of the flute and whom you may hear piping solitary from his chambers in the second floor 
or young tiger the student from whose open windows comes a great gush of cigar smoke and at whose door are a quantity of dishes and covers bearing the insignia of dick's or the cock but stop whither does fancy lead us it is vacation time and with the exception of pendennis nobody is in chambers at all perhaps it was solitude then which drove pen into the garden for although he had never before passed the gate and had looked rather carelessly at the pretty flower-beds and the groups of pleased citizens sauntering over the trim lawn and the broad gravel walks by the river on this evening it happened as we have said that the young gentleman who had dined alone at a tavern in the neighbourhood of the temple took a fancy as he was returning home to his chambers to take a little walk in the gardens and enjoy the fresh evening air and the sight of the shining thames after walking for a brief space and looking at the many peaceful and happy groups round about him he grew tired of the exercise and betook himself to one of the summer-houses which flank either end of the main walk and there modestly seated himself what were his cogitations the evening was delightfully bright and calm the sky was cloudless the chimneys on the opposite bank were not smoking the wharfs warehouses looked rosy in the sunshine and as clear as if they too had washed for the holiday the steamers rushed rapidly up and down the stream laden with holiday passengers the bells of the multitudinous city churches were ringing to evening prayers such peaceful sabbath evenings as this pen may have remembered in his early days as he paced with his arm round his mother's waist on the terrace before the lawn at home the sun was lighting up the little brawl too as well as the broad thames and sinking downwards majestically behind the clavering elms and the tower of the familiar village church was it thoughts of these or the sunset merely that caused the blush in the young man's face he beat time on the bench to the chorus of the bells without flicked the dust off his shining boots with his pocket-handkerchief and starting up stamped with his foot and said no by jove i'll go home and with his resolution which indicated that some struggle as to the propriety of remaining where he was or of quitting the garden had been going on in his mind he stepped out of the summer-house he nearly knocked down two little children who did not indeed reach much higher than his knee and were trotting along the gravel walk with their long blue shadows slanting towards the east one cried out oh the other began to laugh and with a knowing little infantile chuckle said missa pendennis and arthur looking down saw his two little friends of the day before mesdemoiselles amelior anne and betsy jane he blushed more than ever at seeing them and seizing the one whom he had nearly upset jumped her up into the air and kissed her at which sudden assault amelior anne began to cry in great alarm this cry brought up instantly two ladies in clean collars and new ribbons and grand shawls namely mrs bolton in a rich scarlet caledonian cashmere and a black silk dress and miss f bolton with a yellow scarf and a sweet sprigged muslin and a parasol quite the lady fanny did not say one single word though her eyes flashed a welcome and shone as bright as bright as the most blazing windows in paper buildings but mrs bolton after admonishing betsy jane said lor sir how very odd that we should meet you here 
i ope you ave your elf well sir ain't it odd fanny that we should meet mr pendennis what do you mean by sniggering madame when young croesus has been staying at a country house have you never by any singular coincidence been walking with your fanny in the shrubberies have you and your fanny never happened to be listening to the band of the heavies at brighton when young de boots and captain padmore came clinking down the pier have you and your darling francis never chanced to be visiting old widow wheezy at the cottage on the common when the young curate has stepped in with a tract adapted to the rheumatism do you suppose that if singular coincidences occur at the hall they don't also happen at the lodge it was a coincidence no doubt that was all in the course of the conversation on the day previous mr pendennis had merely said in the simplest way imaginable and in reply to a question of miss bolton that although some of the courts were gloomy parts of the temple were very cheerful and agreeable especially the chambers looking on the river and around the gardens and that the gardens were a very pleasant walk on sunday evenings and frequented by a great number of people and here by the merest chance all our acquaintances met together just like so many people in genteel life what could be more artless good-natured or natural pen looked very grave pompous and dandified he was unusually smart and brilliant in his costume his white duck trousers and white hat his neckcloth of many colours his light waistcoat gold chains and shirt studs gave him the air of a prince of the blood at least how his splendour became his figure was anybody ever like him some one thought he blushed how his blushes became him the same individual said to herself the children on seeing him the day before had been so struck with him that after he had gone away they had been playing at him and ameliar anne sticking her little chubby fingers into the armholes of her pinafore as pen was wont to do with his waistcoat had said now bessie jane i'll be missa pendennis fanny had laughed till she cried and smothered her sister with kisses for that feat how happy too she was to see arthur embracing the child if arthur was red fanny on the contrary was very worn and pale arthur remarked it and asked kindly why she looked so fatigued i was awake all night said fanny and began to blush a little i put out her candle and ordered her to go to sleep and leave off readin interposed the fond mother you were reading and what was it that interested you so asked pen amused oh it's so beautiful said fanny what walter lorraine fanny sighed out how i do hate that niera niera i don't know the pronunciation and i love leonora and walter oh how dear he is how had fanny discovered the novel of walter lorraine and that pen was the author this little person remembered every single word which mr pendennis had spoken on the night previous and how he wrote in books and newspapers what books she was so eager to know that she had almost a mind to be civil to old beaux who was suffering under her displeasure since yesterday but she determined first to make application to costigan she began by coaxing the captain and smiling upon him in her most winning way as she helped to arrange his dinner and set his humble apartment in order she was sure his linen wanted mending and indeed the captain's linen closet contained some curious specimens of manufactured flax and cotton she would mend his shirts all his shirts what horrid holes what funny holes 
she put her little face through one of them and laughed at the old warrior in the most winning manner she would have made a funny little picture looking through the holes then she daintily removed costigan's dinner things tripping about the room as she had seen the dancers do at the play and she danced to the captain's cupboard and produced his whisky bottle and mixed him a tumbler and must taste a drop of it a little drop and the captain must sing her one of his songs his dear songs and teach it to her and when he had sung an irish melody in his rich quavering voice fancying it was he who was fascinating the little siren she put a little question about arthur pendennis and his novel and having got an answer cared for nothing more but left the captain at the piano about to sing her another song and the dinner-tray on the passage and the shirts on the chair and ran downstairs quickening her pace as she sped captain costigan as he said was not a literary character nor had he as yet found time to peruse his young friend's elegant performance though he intended to take an early opportunity of purchasing a copy of his work but he knew the name of pen's novel from the fact that messrs finucane blundier and other frequenters of the back kitchen spoke of mr pendennis not all of them with great friendship for bloodier called him a confounded coxcomb and hulin wondered that doolin did not kick him etc by the sobriquet of walter lorraine and was hence enabled to give fanny the information which she required and she went and asked for it at the library mrs bolton said several libraries and some added and it was bout and some adn't it and one of the libraries as added wouldn't let her ave it without a sovereign and she adn't one and she came back a crying to me didn't you fanny and i gave her a sovereign and though i was in such a fright lest any one should have come to the library and took it while i was away fanny said her cheeks and eyes glowing and though i do like it so arthur was touched by this artless sympathy immensely flattered and moved by it do you like it he said if you will come up to my chambers i will no i will bring you one no i will send you one good-night thank you fanny god bless you i mustn't stay with you good-bye good-bye and pressing her hand once and nodding to her mother and the other children drove out of the gardens he quickened his pace as he went from them and ran out of the gate talking to himself dear dear little thing he said darling little fanny you are worth them all i wish to heaven shandon was back i'd go home to my mother i mustn't see her i won't i won't so help me as he was talking thus and running the passers-by turning to look at him he ran against a little old man and perceived it was mr bowes your very humble servant sir said mr bowes making a sarcastic bow and lifting his old hat from his forehead i wish you a good day arthur answered sulkily don't let me detain you or give you the trouble to follow me again i'm in a hurry sir good evening bowes thought pen had some reason for hurrying to his rooms where are they exclaimed the old gentleman you know whom i mean they're not in your rooms sir are they they told bolton they were going to church at the temple they weren't there they are in your chambers they mustn't stay in your chambers mr pendennis damn it sir cried out pendennis fiercely come and see if they are in my chambers here's the cord in the door come in and see and bows taking off his hat and bowing first followed the young man they were not in pen's chambers as we know but when the gardens were closed the two women who had had but a melancholy evening's amusement walked away sadly with the children and they entered into lamb court and stood under the lamp-post 
which cheerfully ornaments the centre of that quadrangle and looked up to the third floor of the house where pendennis's chambers were and where they saw a light presently kindled then this couple of fools went away the children dragging wearily after them and returned to mr bolton who was immersed in rum and water at his lodge in shepherd's inn mr bowes looked round the blank room which the young man occupied and which had received but very few ornaments or additions since the last time we saw them warrington's old bookcase and battered library pen's writing-table with its litter of papers presented an aspect cheerless enough will you like to look in the bedrooms mr bowes and see if my victims are there he said bitterly or whether i have made away with the little girls and hid them in the coal-hole your word is sufficient mr pendennis the other said in his sad tone you say they are not here and i know they are not and i hope they never have been here and never will come upon my word sir you are very good to choose my acquaintances for me arthur said in a haughty tone and to suppose that anybody would be the worse for my society i remember you and owe you kindness from old times mr bowes or i should speak more angrily than i do about a very intolerable sort of persecution to which you seem inclined to subject me you followed me out of your inn yesterday as if you wanted to watch that i shouldn't steal something here pen stammered and turned red directly he had said the words he felt he had given the other an opening which bows instantly took i do think you came to steal something as you say the words sir bows said you mean to say that you came to pay a visit to poor old bows the fiddler or to mrs bolton at the porter's lodge oh fie such a fine gentleman as arthur pendennis esq doesn't condescend to walk up to my garret or to sit in a laundress's kitchen but for reasons of his own and my belief is that you came to steal a pretty girl's heart away and to ruin it and to spurn it afterwards mr arthur pendennis that's what the world makes of you young dandies you gentlemen of fashion you high and mighty aristocrats that trample upon the people it's sport to you but what is it to the poor think you the toys of your pleasures whom you play with and whom you fling into the streets when you're tired i know your order sir i know your selfishness and your arrogance and your pride what does it matter to my lord that the poor man's daughter is made miserable and her family brought to shame you must have your pleasures and the people of course must pay for them what are we made for but for that it's the way with you all the way with you all sir bows was speaking beside the question and pen had his advantage here which he was not sorry to take not sorry to put off the debate from the point upon which his adversary had first engaged it arthur broke out with a sort of laugh for which he asked bows's pardon yes i am an aristocrat he said in a palace up three pair of stairs with a carpet nearly as handsome as yours mr bows my life is passed in grinding the people is it in ruining virgins and robbing the poor my good sir this is very well in a comedy where job thornberry slaps his breast and asks my lord how dare he trample on an honest man and poke out an englishman's fireside but in real life mr bowes to a man who has to work for his bread as much as you do how can you talk about aristocrats tyrannizing over the people have i ever done you a wrong or assumed airs of superiority over you did you not have an early regard for me in days when we were both of us romantic young fellows mr bowes come don't be angry with me now and let us be as good friends as we were before 
those days were very different mr bows answered and mr arthur pendennis was an honest impetuous young fellow then rather selfish and conceited perhaps but honest he liked you then because you were ready to ruin yourself for a woman and now sir arthur asked and now times are changed and you want a woman to ruin herself for you bows answered i know this child sir i've always said this lot was hanging over her she has heated her little brain with novels until her whole thoughts are about love and lovers and she scarcely sees that she treads on a kitchen floor i have taught the little thing she is full of many talents and winning ways i grant you i am fond of the girl sir i am a lonely old man i lead a life that i don't like among boon companions who make me melancholy i have but this child that i care for have pity upon me and don't take her away from me mr pendennis don't take her away the old man's voice broke as he spoke its accents touched pen much more than the menacing or sarcastic tone which bose had commenced by adopting indeed said he kindly you do me a wrong if you fancy i intend one to poor little fanny i never saw her till friday night it was the merest chance that our friend costigan threw her into my way i have no intentions regarding her that is that is you know very well that she is a foolish girl and her mother a foolish woman that is you meet her in the temple gardens and of course without previous concert that is that when i found her yesterday reading the book you've wrote she scorned me bose said what am i good for but to be laughed at a deformed old fellow like me an old fiddler that wears a threadbare coat and gets his bread by playing tunes at an alehouse you are a fine gentleman you are you wear a scent in your handkerchief and a ring on your finger you go to dine with great people whoever gives a crust to old bows and yet i might have been as good a man as the best of you i might have been a man of genius if i had had the chance i and have lived with the master spirits of the land but everything had failed with me i had ambition once and wrote plays poems music nobody would give me a hearing i never loved a woman but she laughed at me and here i am in my old age alone alone don't take this girl from me mr pendennis i say again leave her with me a little longer she was like a child to me till yesterday why did you step in and made her to mock my deformity and old age i am guiltless of that at least arthur said with something of a sigh upon my word of honour i wish i had never seen the girl my calling is not seduction mr bows i did not imagine that i had made an impression on poor fanny until until to-night and then sir i was sorry and was flying from my temptation as you came upon me and he added with a glow upon his cheek which in the gathering darkness his companion could not see and with an audible tremor in his voice i do not mind telling you sir that on this sabbath evening as the church bells were ringing i thought of my own home and of women angelically pure and good who dwell there and i was running hither as i met you that i might avoid the danger which beset me and ask strength of god almighty to do my duty after these words from arthur a silence ensued and when the conversation was resumed by his guest the latter spoke in a tone which was much more gentle and friendly and on taking farewell of pen bows asked leave to shake hands with him and with a very warm and affectionate greeting on both sides apologized to arthur for having mistaken him and paid him some compliments which caused the young man to squeeze his old friend's hand heartily again and as they parted at pen's door arthur said he had given a promise 
and he hoped and trusted that mr bose might rely on it amen to that prayer said mr bose and went slowly down the stair End of chapter fifty